Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Dear Brady, Ella, Ivy, and Noah, being your grandparents is one of the greatest joys of our Dear lives. Dear Emma May, oh my precious daughter. Sarah, we are so proud of the person you have become. To my precious Claire, you are such a blessing to your dad and me. Dearest Jasper, Xander, Ender, Esther, Archer, Fletcher, Ember, Fisher, and whoever else God has in store. Dear Jack, it really is tough to put into words just how much your mom and I love you. Someday we pray that you will recognize Jesus as your Savior and that you will ask Him to rule your life, to forgive you of your sins, and to guide you daily. I pray you spread your wings in excited expectation to live the story that He has written for you because I promise no matter where that journey takes you, it will be an awesome story. Before you were born, a friend told me that having a baby would change my life in ways I couldn't even imagine. She was so right. I still remember holding you in my arms for the first time. It was the strangest feeling to instantly and irrevocably feel such a strong love towards another human being. Yet the wise person who listens to wisdom gains a heart. So how? How does one gain a heart? How does one gain wisdom? There is a reason, my children. Jesus says you must be as little children and come to Him. Only through a new heart, through faith in Him, can you walk in wisdom. And His wisdom will never steal you wrong or lose its shine. You are already showing such a beautiful personality marked by fierceness, curiosity, determination, and joy. Walk life with God despite what you see the world doing and that your joy will spring up from a rooted foundation of trusting Christ wholeheartedly in everything you do and experience. My hope, prayer, advice, and encouragement to you is this. Each one of us stumbles. Each one of us falls short. Each one of us has a season where we feel distant from God. Despite this, He invites us back again and again into His presence. Pursue Him with all your heart, and don't hesitate to return to Him when you make mistakes. Know that we will never stop praying for you, and we love you so very much. Love your mother and father. I love you forever and ever and always, my girl, mom. Love and care for your siblings. One day your mother and I will be gone, and each of you to the other will be your greatest joy on earth. Otherwise, your neglect of each other will become your deepest regret. I am so proud of you. You are enough for me. I love you, Daddy. Love, Mom. Love, Mommy and Daddy. Love you so, so much and are here for you always. Love, Mom and Dad. Well, I hope you've enjoyed those videos as much as I have over the course of this series. Can we just say thank you to everybody who participated in those and helped us make those? 
And then I also want to say a special thank you to Tom Hastain, who uh, did all the, the recording and editing and putting those together. He did an incredible job and I've been so thankful for that. Uh, one of the things that I love about how this particular video ended is we, we kind of put a compilation together of what we've seen over the journey of these last six or seven weeks, uh, is how each letter ended by saying, love mom and dad, love mommy and daddy, love grandma and grandpa. And, and there's this expression of when I love someone, I want to give them a piece of my heart. I want to give them advice. I want to give them encouragement. I want to share ways to live that will be helpful to them. And so as we think about our relationship with God, and really the reason we've been going through this uh, passage in Proverbs, uh, the first seven chapters of Proverbs, each chapter begins with him writing, my son, be careful about this. My son, do this. My son, pursue these things or avoid these things. And there's all of these letters that Solomon is writing to his son. And in essence, we're seeing that God, who is our father, is taking the words of Solomon and he's writing these to us. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's alive today and it means the same thing to us as if we were Solomon's children receiving it from him because God has preserved this for us to hear from him. And so he says to us today, my children, I want you to know something. I want you to listen to something. I want you to have wisdom and I want you to have understanding because the things that I've given to you in my word are helpful for you to know how to live. And so every single time we read God's word, Solomon doesn't end his letter and say, love dad. And God doesn't have a part in here that he signs his name as his love dad. But I think we could read every single chapter of the Bible, every verse of the Bible. And when you do your own personal time reading God's word, that you could get to the end of your daily reading. And the last thing you could say, if you wanted to interject it in after whatever you've read, whether it's a warning or an encouragement an admonishment, if it's a story, whatever it is, you could get to the end of that reading and you could add on love dad, because your father has written to you and he's given you something to hold on to. So as we jump in today to chapter seven, this is really just a continuation of the end of chapter six. Uh, And really in chapter five and six, and now in seven, Solomon gives us a warning. He gives his son a warning and God's giving us a warning of the same thing. And the topic has been on adultery, right? And so as we think about this, we go, well, here's something that apparently God knows in the brokenness of the human heart needs to be addressed and dealt with. That sexual temptation, sexual sin is going to be an issue that has to be addressed and dealt with. And it has to be addressed over and over and over again so that we get it. And so as Solomon writes these things, this is a continuation of what he has said in chapter six as he was writing about adultery and giving a final warning to his son. Now, as we get to chapter seven, he begins this way, my son keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And to insight, you're my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And so Solomon talks to us about these things and he says, listen, if God didn't love us, he wouldn't give us warnings about things like this. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't have introduced us to wisdom. But because he has, he tells us, if you'll listen to my words, if you'll take in the things that I've instructed you on, if you will pay attention to what wisdom has to say and treat wisdom like a sister and treat understanding and knowledge and insight like a close relative, Hold on to them. Make them a part of your consistent life because it will lead you down good paths. It'll help you go through life 
in a way that's prosperous. And so as we look at Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to see this final warning like we did in Proverbs 5 and 6. But here's what we're going to see. The way that it gets handled in this chapter is Solomon relating a story to us. And he's going to say, I was standing in my palace one day and I was looking out in the streets and I noticed some things happening. So if you will, just jump into verse 6. He says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading and as the dark of night set in. So let's stop there for a second. Solomon looks out and he says, I saw a young man who had no sense. It doesn't mean that the man is unintelligent. He just says he was among the simple, just a young guy. He's kind of simplistic in his ways. He doesn't have a sense. He, he's not unintelligent, but he's unwise. He's just kind of going through life, not really taking into consideration that there are hard, difficult things that are out there. And he's acting in foolishness rather than in wisdom. And the first thing he says to us when he looks at this is he says, we know he's kind of unwise because he starts saying he was moving toward her corner and moving toward her house. And we're like, Solomon, who, who is her? Like you're just writing this stuff and her pops up all of a sudden. Who is this person? And I think Solomon, as he's writing this, would have gone, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And anybody in Solomon's audience who would have read this and anybody who lived on Solomon's block where the palace is would have gone, oh yeah, yeah, we know whose house you're talking about. Like we know when you say she, he was going down toward her house and toward her corner, like we know exactly, you don't have to be real descriptive because we know who you're talking about. This person has a reputation. This person gets people in trouble and we know exactly what's going on. And so he says, he, this boy's acting in ignorance and foolishness and he's moving toward her house. And he says this, he says, it's intentional foolishness heading in the direction of trouble. But it happens, if you notice the time frame. it says at twilight, as the day's fading and as the dark of night set in. And if you're someone who struggles with sexual temptation, you understand this. Because my experience has been, and when I talk to a lot of, of guys especially, and we talk about the struggle with sexual temptation, by and large, when does it happen? At night. Right? It happens at night, you're tired, your defenses are down, you've been through a busy day, your mind's no longer occupied, your family's already gone to bed. You're sitting up watching TV. You're just scrolling on your phone. And the next thing you know, you click on an ad or you click on a link or you hit something and there's something there that you shouldn't see. But instead of immediately digging off of it, you dive a little bit deeper in. And the next thing that happens is you've spent an hour or more just engulfed in the destructiveness of pornography. And he says all of these things that this guy is doing, it's not in the middle of the day. It's not when there's someone out to correct him. He's like, it's, it's twilight. The dark is coming. He's moving out of light, which always signifies to us the goodness of God. He says he's moving toward darkness. And he goes, he's pursuing these things at the time when temptation is high. This guy's playing with fire and he's going to get burned. Look at verses 10 through 21. It says, then out came a woman to meet him. She was dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks, which for our uh, understanding here just means that this temptation is everywhere. 
Like it's all over the place. Anywhere you look and turn, there's going to be temptation that's available to you. If you want to find something that's tempting, if you want to go down this path, it's available to you. And so she's always out, now in the streets, now in the squares, now at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him with a brazen face. She said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I've found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. This should be a warning right here, right? My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not come home until the full moon. So with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk, right? And I love right in the middle of that, I think it's important for us to go. She tells him, hey, I came out looking for you. I've been waiting to find you, but really anyone would have done, right? He's nothing special to her. This is just going to be a fling. This is just something that's going to end badly. But she says, I came looking for you. Then there's three things here that I want to kind of point out that she does to really entrap him in this moment. The first thing that we noticed was how she's dressed, right? It says she came out with crafty intent, dressed as a prostitute. So there is revealing clothes. We talked just a few weeks ago about the idea that men tend to be more visually stimulated, visually driven, and so she knows this and takes advantage of that, and she comes out in provocative dress. And so I think if I could just for a minute to talk to us today and just have a little bit of a family meeting for just a second, that I would want to say some things to us as, as men and women in our congregation. Number one, ladies, that, and I've, I've, man, I've prayed about whether or not I should say this, and so if you get mad at me, you can come talk to me later, but I'm going to say it anyway. But here's what I would want you to know, following up on this conversation, because guys tend to be so much more visually driven and stimulated, is that I want you to know that you need and you can help men in this way by being cautious about the clothing that you wear, not being provocative in the way that you dress. And I know in our culture, immediately red flags go up, especially for those of you who are younger, especially if you count yourself in the feminist movement that you're going, well, stop that. I hate that conversation immediately. Like I should be able to wear whatever I want. The guys should do something about changing the way that they look at me. Let them deal with it, right? That's the conversation. We all understand this piece. And I would say to you, a whole hearty, amen. So guys, let's talk to you for just a second. <laughs> if you see someone that is provocatively dressed and you are not married to them, you divert your eyes. You find a way to look elsewhere. You deal with it in a way that honors God, right? Jesus will talk about this in the New Testament, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's addressing these issues and he turns his attention toward adultery. And he says, you've heard it said before that if you commit adultery, uh, that, you know, that's worthy of death. But I'm going to tell you that if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with you in her heart. And so he says, so here's the answer to that. So if you're dealing with these kind of temptations, it's better to gouge out your eye than to go on that path. It's better to cut off your hand than to deal with something destructive. Now, Jesus was not physically talking about <laughs> gouging out an eye when we struggle with temptation, cutting off a hand, right? But for me, when I go, man, you know what? If my hand can hold in my hand the power of temptation in the pocket of, of you know, my phone in my pocket, and I can pull this out and get access to pornography anytime I want to, then I've got to go to war against that and find a way to cut that off in my life. What do I need to do to protect myself in that domain? What do I need to do to protect myself in the domain of my eyes? Job said, I've made a covenant in my heart that I won't look at anything with ill intent. 
right? So I'm going to be sure that I'm going to do some things to avoid sexual temptation. But with that being said, here's the thing that I want to go back to ladies in the room just for a second and go, listen, you don't want to have the example of your life to be, well, I should be able to dress and do whatever I want to, and the guys should just have to deal with it. Let them gouge out their eyes. Let them cut off their hands. You don't want a generation of men around you that are blind. Right? You just don't. So how do we act toward each other in love? That we would say, it's loving to my brothers if I clothe myself in a way that's God-honoring and God-fearing and loving toward them. And brothers, that we would say to our sisters that I'm not going to use you as some, something that I can take advantage of, that I'm not going to look at you with lust and, lustful intent in my heart. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see you with purity and to hold you up as my sister and to honor you because you're beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of your creator. So both of us have to answer the question, how do we act toward each other in love when it comes to these things? All right? So if you're angry with me, you can catch me after the service. All right, here's the second thing that she does. First thing, she dresses provocatively. The second thing, she kisses him. Right? And we've just been told he's kind of a younger guy. I'm imagining in my own kind of mental picture of this that she's a little bit older. She's probably not an old person, but she's a little bit older and beyond him. And so what kind of guy is not going to be drawn in if an attractive woman dressed provocatively walks up and grabs him by the face and kisses him? Like the hook is set, right? Then what does she do? The third thing, she offers to feed him. And we all know that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? And she says, hey, listen, I went today and I made my fellowship offerings. I went to the temple. I went and made my sacrifices, there was a religious aspect of this. There was a part of this that my heart was moving toward God, but now my heart is moving away from him and toward something else that I want. And I've got food at home. The fellowship offering acted as a thing that you would give and it would be sacrificed and they would give you half of it back that you could enjoy for yourself. You were supposed to go home and feast and enjoy and banquet. And she's taken this gift that God has given to her through his law and through the covenant that he's made, and she's taken and twisted it into something that she's going to use as a lure to draw someone in and destroy them sexually. Right? And so all of these things are taking place. And then the last thing, she professed love. Right? She says, hey, come and drink deeply of love. Let's enjoy love. But then she goes, you know, because my husband isn't home. Is this love? No, this is lust, right? This is good old-fashioned lust. And here's what I would want to tell you, that when you think about this, that we never love what we lust over. We use what we lust over. And so if this is what you think about when it comes to relationship of going, what I, the things that I see that I just want and I lust over it and I have to have it and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it in my life, You'll never enjoy that. You'll never love that, whether it's a person or something else in your life, because we use what we lust after. And so she says this, I'm going to drink deeply of love, but really it's just lust disguised as love. And this is then where we get to the end of the story and we kind of see the result of this ignorant man's journey. Proverbs 7, 22 through 27 says, now all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare 
little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to, the way, to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims that she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death, right? And so as he turns his attention to this, it says, all at once this happens. And I love that phrase and that imagery because we think about these things and we go, you know, in our minds, we're never going to just be trapped by something and it take us over all at once. No one ever thinks when you're having conversations with someone of the opposite sex and you're getting a little too personal, a little too intimate, telling a little bit too much about you and about your marriage and about things in your life. No one ever thinks in those seemingly innocent conversations that this is going to lead to an affair. But it happens all the time. No one ever thinks if I click on that link and look at that image that it's going to lead to an addiction. But it does all the time. All at once, you're wrapped up in something that you can't get out of. And, and Solomon says about this boy, all at once, he goes in and it's like an ox that's trapped. It's like a deer that steps into a noose and an arrow pierces its liver. It's like a bird that gets entangled and meshed up. And he goes, all of these things happen and it's just destructive and she is going to destroy him. Now, when we think about this, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I don't think this means that every time you have something like this happen in your life that it's going to lead to physical death. Really, we're talking more about spiritual death here, right? Like it's destructive of our spirit. It's destructive of our relationship with God. When we step outside of his plan and his boundary, it's destructive. And it happens faster than we think. The results can be costly. Um, this past week, we had an event here at the church. Uh, Ashley and Kyle, our youth and children's ministers, they had an event for parents and families. And, and it was just a training seminar for parenting. Uh, Jeff and Cass Aldridge were here and, uh, and spent some time with families in our church and just shared some wisdom with us. And I thought it was really, really good. And so I didn't have the opportunity to be there that night, but Kyle was sharing with me some things that they, uh, that they had heard from Jeff and Cass. And three things that I wanted to share with you that they said that I just thought was super applicable to what we're talking about today. Number one is this, you live and you die by your choices. That's what Solomon's relating to us here. You live and you die by your choices. He's going, this boy had the choice to stay with his buddies or to go down this path. And what does he do? He goes down the path. Where does it lead to his destruction? Like you live and you die by your choices. Andy Stanley has a book called The Principle of the Path. And the, the biggest kind of big picture of it is that your direction, not your intentions, lead to your destination. Like you can have the best intentions of the world. I'm, I'm going to pursue a life of purity. I'm never going to divorce my spouse. I'm never going to get involved in addictive behavior. I'm going to have this path and a direction that I want to go. But it's not the intentions that get you there. The direction you're moving is what determines your destination. So when you think about this and you go, man, if I'm moving down a path towards something, just because I think I want to be over there, I'm not going to get there if I'm moving in this direction. You've got to head in the right directions. You've got to choose your path wisely because it's your direction, not your intentions, to lead to your destination. Here's the second thing Jeff and Cass share. They said, you have the power to choose smart or to choose stupid. And I just love that. You have the power to choose smart or to choose stupid. 
And again, this boy who, when he was with his friends, even though they're all simple-minded kind of people too, and Solomon goes, I saw among the simple, but there was one boy who particularly left the pack. He could have been like, hey guys, why don't we all go get cheeseburgers and french fries and have a good time tonight? But instead, he separated from the pack and he went down her path toward her corner, toward her house. He had the ability to choose smart or stupid, and he chose stupidity. So for us, we need to look at our own life and evaluate some things of the paths that we're on. That I think you could take this and say, for me, what does this look like right now? Are there any paths I'm currently on that if I'm honest with myself and if I listen to, to God's word and if I listen to people in my life who love me and who speak truth into my life, would anyone say you're on a path that's dangerous and it's leading away from God and it's leading to some difficult places? And if I'm wise, will I get off of that path and choose a new direction? Where are you headed? It's not too late to correct your path if you have some directions that are leading you into trouble. Now, I've told you guys a lot. I am totally directionally challenged. Like, I rely on GPS for everything. Uh, just getting around Kingsport. I've lived here for eight years. I still don't know where things are in Kingsport, and I have to plug in the GPS all the time. And even with that, sometimes I'll miss a turn. And Siri will say what? Recalculating. <laughs> Idiot. Why can't you just follow directions, right? Like, she's saying that. I messed up so bad not too long ago that Siri went, sorry, let's try that again. I was like, I didn't know Siri could say that. But it was nice to hear a woman's voice apologize to me. Sorry. Was that the line right there? Okay. But Siri's like, hey, you've now missed 14 turns. Let's try this one more time, right? Like, I'm trying to get you there. You're the idiot not taking the right path. What path are you on? Where does it lead? What direction are you moving? If you're on the wrong path and you recognize it and can identify it and God stirs that in your heart and somebody who's holding you accountable helps point it out to you, are you willing to recalculate and get back on the right path? Stay off the dangerous paths. God has something better for you when you listen to his wisdom and then here's the third thing that Jeff and Cass said. Each time you choose stupid, it is someone or something's job to make your life miserable. Isn't that good? You choose stupid, it's going to make your life miserable. Someone or something will damage your life. So a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about these same types of topics, we really talked about this from the point of adultery between the relationship of man and a woman, marriage outside of marriage, taking sex outside of marriage. Today, I want us to think about this for a few minutes through a different lens. And here's where I want us to start kind of drawing this to a close. Because I would imagine that most of us in the room are going, you know, not really a huge issue for me. I'm not thinking about an adulterous relationship. I'm not thinking about being a prostitute in any sense. I'm not going to do anything like that. Like my life trajectory is headed. So like this is cool and all, but like I don't know where the practical application is for me. So let's make this some practical application. And here's how I want to do that. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God talks about his relationship with us, with, his, uh, with the people of Israel and in the New Testament with his church. And how does he describe himself? We have all these imagery and depictions and descriptions of God. He's Father. He's Savior, right? We have all of these images. But what's the big one that we talk about throughout Scripture? He's husband. And we're his bride. And over and over and over again in Scripture, God is going to say, my beloved, my bride, 
my choice to be in relationship with me has gone after other lovers. She has rejected me and pursued other vile things. And so as we think about this and we go, well, what does all this mean to our life? I think we need to see ourselves in relationship with God. And we need to say, for me, am I living in rebellion against God as his bride? That I'm pursuing other lovers. Jesus talked about this, right? You can't love God and money. You can't have two masters. Either you'll love one, despise the other. You'll hate one, love the other. You can't have two things. A lot of us try to live with a foot grounded in heavenly things and a foot grounded in the things of this world. And what ultimately ends up happening a lot of the time is that the things of this world start to choke out our love for God and the things of heaven. And he goes, you're, you're just cheating on me. You're pursuing dangerous paths that are leading you away from my eternal love. In the Old Testament, we get a book in the Bible where God literally acts this out in person. The book is Hosea, and he's a prophet. And Hosea is doing his prophetic thing and loving God and serving God and leading his people. When one day God comes to him and says, Hosea, it's time for you to get married, and I picked somebody out for you. And her name is Gomer. And Hosea goes, I think I've heard that name before. It sounds familiar. And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the prostitute down on the corner down there. And Hosea's like, yeah, right. I think I missed something there that you said. Like, that didn't sound right. Um, you want me to go and marry the prostitute? And God tells Hosea what he's doing. He goes, I'm going to make your life as a prophet to my people a living example of how my people treat me. So I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And Hosea does. He takes her in. He marries her. He enters into this covenant relationship. And they have this life that's going. And then all of a sudden, what do we find in the story? She leaves and goes back to prostitution. And a lot of us would probably just be like, okay, well, fine. I tried, God. I did the thing, and she didn't do it right, and it was her fault, and she left. So I guess I'm just going to go on my merry way. Is that what Hosea does? No. He chases after her. And he goes and he pursues her and he brings her back home again. And he reinstitutes the covenant relationship with her. You go, great, the story's complete there, right? Nope, she leaves again and goes back to a life of prostitution. And Hosea has to go and he takes everything that he owns and he sells everything to buy her out of prostitution and to bring her back home with him, the costliest Thing that he could have done. And in the moment that he brings her home, he says, you're never to leave again. I've bought you at a great price. You're mine. Stay with me. Abide with me. I'll love you in a way that no one else will, but you have to stay. And from that point on in the story, Gomer stays with Hosea. And I think God would say the same thing to us today. Hey, you're my bride. You're the ones that I love. You're the one that I sent my son to die for. His death on the cross was to bring you into relationship with me. But you keep going and chasing other gods. 
you keep going and pursuing other things, and it breaks my heart. But when you do and when I do, God doesn't wipe his hands of us and go, well, I tried. He pursues us, and he brings us back. And when we run away again, he pursues us, and he brings us back. And the door to relationship with God, our father and our husband, is that he will always love us. And the door into relationship is always open. But he calls us to abide. I bought you with a price. I sent my son to die on a cross. He paid for your sins. You are no longer your own. You are mine, redeemed for my purposes. And so that's what I want us to see this morning. And as Brian comes back up, we're going to sing one last song together as we start to close up our time together this morning. But I want us to get this picture in mind that you have a God who loves you, but like any relationship for it to thrive, you have to abide in it. You can't let other relationships become more important. And if today you're someone who's going, you know what, I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't know anything that you're talking about. Like this stuff doesn't even make full sense to me. I've heard the story. I understand Jesus died on a cross for my sin, but I don't know God. I think the thing that I would want to tell you today is that God knows you and he loves you with an unending love. And he has a plan for your life and he has desires for you that go deeper than anything you've ever imagined. And he wants you to surrender your life and stop chasing other gods and other things, other pursuits of pleasure and wealth and power and prestige and all the things that you can have in this world and to say, I'm better than all of that. Will you just let me have your heart and I'll teach you how to walk in light with me. For others of us in the room this morning, you know Jesus, but you feel some conviction right now because you would say of yourself, I'm on a path that's leading away from him, not toward him. And I've made some stupid choices and I've chosen some foolish paths and I've gone off on a direction that I shouldn't have. And today, you just need to make a decision to return. To say, I, I want to come back. I want to be with Jesus again. I want to receive his unconditional love. I want to I take his forgiveness. And yes, he's poured out his forgiveness to me over and over and over again, but he's available again today to pour out grace over you. He loves you. And he's just waiting for you to return. But when you do, he's going to say to you, you're mine. Don't walk away again. Stay with me. Let me take control of your heart. Let me have your full adoration and attention. And so this morning, if you need to invite Jesus to change your life, you can pray right where you are and just say, God, I need you in my life. I want the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Better yet, we'd love to have a conversation with you after this service is over and just talk to you about what a relationship with Jesus looks like and how to enter into that and what to do as a next step. If that's intimidating to you, there are connection cards in the chairs right around you. You can fill out a connection card and on the card, just fill out your information. On the back of the card, there's a box that you can check that says something like, I wanna know more about following Jesus. Hand that to one of our team or put it in our giving boxes and this week we'll follow up with you because we wanna have a conversation with you about the goodness of Jesus, his salvation and his love for you. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.